Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Proverbial is brought to you by Scully Academy, where you can discover restful, classical learning online. Their interactive online courses for grades K-12 pair classical curriculum with a restful, or Scully, pedagogy, leading to deeper student engagement and learning that lasts. Choose from subject areas such as Latin, writing, grammar, mathematics, logic, history, science, and more, all taught by master instructors. Registration for the 2021-2022 courses are now open. Head over to www.scholeacademy.com. That's S-C-H-O-L-E academy.com to learn more and to enroll. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 56, The Best Policy. Today's proverb comes from Socrates. I'll read it twice. The unexamined life is not worth living. Once more, the unexamined life is not worth living. What is the examined life? You cannot examine your own life. What would you examine your life with but your own life? How do you examine the instrument that does the examining? No object can be the recipient of its own action. There's no knife that's so sharp it can cut itself. You see with your eyes, which means you cannot see your own eyes, only the reflection of your eyes. What is the examined life? You could allow someone else 
to do the examining. But anyone that you know well enough to ask to examine your life is going to have a very high incentive to not be entirely honest with you, to not conduct a really thorough examination. They might not trust you well enough to ask the same question in return. Or they might feel obligated to ask the same question in return. And out of fear or lack of interest in your examination of their life, they don't offer you a thorough examination of your own life. The only people who are going to be brutally honest with you are people who can't stand you. And you're not going to ask them to examine your life. It is a little tempting, though, isn't it? There are a few people who I know cannot stand me. There are some people who hate me. It would be a little interesting to arrange a meeting with them, not tell them why. We need to talk. And to sit down with them, look them in the eye, and say, do you think I'm a good person? Why or why not? I'm not going to argue with you. I just want to take notes. Pull out a notepad. Tell them, I'm trying to live the examined life. I want you to tell me everything that's wrong with me. Examine me. Don't hold anything back. Be honest. What would happen if you said that to someone who couldn't stand you? Would they actually be honest with you? Would even the people who hate you be honest with you if you asked them to? Or would they be too ashamed, even the people who hate you, would they be too ashamed to be honest with you? Maybe they would want to be honest with you, but then be too ashamed of their own hatred. You can imagine it, can't you? You sit down with somebody who hates you. Tell me why I'm a bad person. I will not argue. I will only listen. Give it to me straight. And then they do. And as they're giving it to you straight, they have to temper their own hatred of you. And by the end of the conversation, your relationship has begun to heal. And then they make the same offer to you. And you have to give them a generous assessment because you feel they have earned it in being generous to you. And hatred and strife is healed. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sit down and ask the people who hate me to give me an honest assessment of me. Neither are you. It could be wonderful. It could turn into this amazing TED Talk on how to heal broken relationships. Honesty is the whole key. We're not going to do it, though. This won't work with your friends. You cannot sit down and tell your friends, I want you to be brutally honest with me. No, they won't do it. Your friends are going to tell you, well, you've got some problems like everyone does, but you're amazing. 
and they're going to cover over every negative examining thing that they want to say with the sort of unexamined ideas that you want to believe in the first place. So whether it's friends or enemies, it's really hard to find anyone who both knows you very well and will examine your life and will give you a report on their finding. In this world, almost no one ever has incentive to be completely honest with anyone else that they know. So who can examine your life? The unexamined life is not worth living. So who gets to examine? What examination are you willing to trust? There's two significant terms in this proverb. Unexamined and worth. And I believe that once we understand the concept of worth, the examination has already begun. It might even be well underway. What is worth? Worth implies an exchange. There's no worth without an exchange. Worth is metaphorical. It's analogous, which means there has to be two parties. Worth implies a sort of bargain. So Socrates suggests that some lives are worth living in some are not. Which means life cannot have worth unless there's something outside of life. We need two things. In any sort of concept of worth or exchange, you have to have two things. So life can only have worth if there's something beyond this life that you're trading for or endeavoring some sort of exchange. There has to be some being beyond this life who determines the worth of your life because you can't escape your life and determine what things have value and then come back to your life and trade for them. You're going to have to trust someone else about what things have worth in this life. Now, anything in life can be exchanged for something else. Things can be traded around, shifted around in this life, or you can trade things in this life for things in another life. And a good deal of how your life plays out depends on what exactly you're trying to get in exchange for your life. If your life has worth, if your life has a high worth, you're not willing to exchange it for ephemeral things, for passing things. So this is the, the way that Christ describes treasure in heaven. You can trade your life for whatever you want. You can trade your life for passing ephemeral pleasures, 
the praise of men. That's nice. Or you can trade your life for something better later on, something beyond this life. There are things that you can do with your life that will have long-term pleasant consequences. You're going to like the way it turns out in the long run. You won't like it now. And that's virtue. That's piety. The pleasure of piety is really enjoyed by anticipation, but not really in full, not in truth, only in this pale ghost-like sort of way is piety and virtue pleasant. It's pleasant because we imagine the fruits of piety, the fruits of virtue, and because we do not have to live with the guilt of vice and impiety. So life is only worth living if there's something beyond this life which gives it worth. I tell this or suggest this to my students. If I asked you if you would do some babysitting for me on Friday night and that I would give you a dollar an hour, hopefully you would turn me down and say, no, my time is worth more than that. Everyone intuitively understands that life has value, that time has value, and that you can trade it for things that will either be very pleasant now or pleasant later. It's interesting that while we can acknowledge that a dollar an hour for your Friday night is not a good value, we're still willing to spend Friday nights doing things that won't have any long-term value that we simply find pleasant now. So I'm not going to do babysitting for somebody for a dollar an hour because it wouldn't be pleasant now and it wouldn't be pleasant later. I can't do much with a dollar unless we're thinking of this as some sort of act of charity, in which case I would rather have no money, not be compensated at all, and look forward to treasure in heaven. But we commonly trade our time for almost nothing in return. Anytime you watch some dumb movie, anytime I watch some dumb movie, I give Hollywood two hours of my life in exchange for almost nothing. Nothing, at least, that will... Nothing that I can cash in later. Nothing that I can transform or which will evolve into something bigger and better later. So pleasure is not enough to justify our time in and of itself. Pleasure has worth, but it's a fairly low worth. Unless pleasure is attached to some kind of higher meaning, a long fast that terminates in the pleasures of a feast, unless pleasure is tied to some higher meaning, some higher value, some value beyond this life, it's self-terminating and you have your reward. Now, attaching pleasure to worth is surprisingly difficult. It's not impossible. Pleasure can have deep and lasting meaning. Normally, it doesn't, though. And I think that this is a 
rather significant misunderstanding in any sort of conversation about hedonism and asceticism that goes on among your average Christian today. We are not inclined towards asceticism. A lot of people even think that asceticism is a sort of pride or works righteousness. And we're not dualists. We don't believe that the body is bad. And thus we know that pleasure, physical pleasure, is not necessarily sinful. But from the point that we acknowledge that pleasure is not necessarily sinful, we often vindicate pleasure much too far, much more completely than physical pleasure really deserves. And when you read a book like, say, The Consolation of Philosophy, or the work of anybody uh, like Boethius, whose life is shortly to come to an end, they, they don't speak highly of physical pleasure. They don't despise it, but they're often a bit dismissive over it. Yeah, not all that important. Who cares all that deeply about it? And we, our lives revolve around pleasure, and we're insulted and taken back at the idea that there are worthy and unworthy lives, that there are some lives that just aren't worth doing. In the same way that there are some movies not worth watching, some music not worth listening to, some biscuits not worth eating, some people not worth talking to, the idea that there are entire lives that pass in worthlessness really is just a fair conclusion from the idea that anything cannot be worth your time. If anything cannot be worth your time, then giving yourself over to that thing means consigning your life to the realm of worthlessness. And scripture teaches that there is a difference between things that are allowable and things that are profitable. So the fact that something isn't wrong just isn't a high enough standard to hold yourself to. The fact that something isn't wrong doesn't necessarily mean it's going to do you any sort of long-term benefit. If you're going to spend six hours doing something, you should be able to describe how it will have been worth it six weeks from now. If you're going to give a significant amount of your time over to something, it's really helpful if you can describe the ways in which doing this will be repaid, if not in the next life, at least a little while later. Or is this really the sort of thing that has absolutely no value, no meaning beyond this moment? And when you consider just how much of modern life is given over to listening to things you won't listen to a year from now, looking at things you won't look at a week from now, won't even think of a week from now, watching things that you know you won't like, that won't be worth watching again. It's rather amazing how much of modern life passes in this worthless state. Nothing to trade up for. Nothing to exchange our time for. Nothing later on. It's all right now. Life is spent in the moment. It's like putting time through a paper shredder. 
The unexamined life isn't worth living, but as soon as you have this concept of worth, you have a means by which to examine your life. Or the whole concept of worth, the whole concept of anything beyond this life, necessarily examines this life for us. The idea that everything in this life has a corollary event in the next life. Or that every moment in this life could have a corollary event in the next life, if you use this life properly, is an examination of how you spend your time. Merely acknowledging that there is a life to come and that you will be judged between this life and the next life. And that the state your soul and body enter into in the next life hinges on a judgment that's made of this life. That is the examination. That's the moment, the moment when you realize that you will be judged. That's the examination. The examination can start here and now, just with the acknowledgement that you have to give an account for what you do with your time. That you have to give an account someday of everything that you've said, everything that you've done, everything that you've watched, everything that you've looked at and listened to and eaten. That it all builds up to something. The moment when the exchange takes place. That pivotal moment, the hinge moment where this life gives way to the next. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.